Hello guys and welcome to this episode of the Geeking Off Podcast. Today we got a very different and uh, kind of a continuation of uh, last podcast when we talked about getting started in Linux. And this time we're going to talk about our favorite Linux apps. Linux apps that we use and appreciate from a day-to-day base. And we're going to explore those, check them out. Unfortunately for this episode, due to technical issues with the co-host, they will be joining me through uh, Mumble, and we will be screen sharing any sites or information on these apps over here. So let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Computers, gaming, retro gear, devices, And welcome to the main discussion. We're going to discuss our favorite Linux apps, and here we go. I would like to introduce my mumble room. Go ahead and say hi, Jason. What's up, everybody? Switch to Linux. And, of course, Josh, JDHeart89. Go ahead and say hi to the folks. Hello, everybody. Yeah, switch to Linux. It's much easier for you. Our first app is something that I've learned when you live in a place where the summers can get a little hot, but yet you have no air conditioning And when your computer starts getting hot, it starts getting unstable in Linux. There is this great script on GitHub. It is called the temp throttle. And basically what this thing does, you just enter, for example, like it says here, sudo.forge/tempthrottlesh, and you set your temperature. So if you want an example here, if you wanted 80 degrees Celsius, you go ahead and set that. And when your computer gets really, really hot and it hits that 80 degree threshold, it's going to change your... Um, CPU speed to cool down. So once it cools down, then it'll increase the speed again. It, it's it's a nice way to um, have your CPU cool down and give it some cooling room. When you're in an area, especially like where I live, where the apartment's on a second story and it gets really, really hot in the summer up in here and it can get up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the room and you're dealing with computers shutting down or just turning off because they're just getting too cooked up because... When it gets that warm, it doesn't matter what kind of CPU cooler you have, it's going to cook. And with this script, you're you're guaranteed to have a better experience with your computing experience, especially when it is a very hot, hot day. That's what this script will help you with, is bring that temperature down by clocking her down a few notches. Our next favorite Linux app is OwnCloud. That's right. If you want some cloud with unlimited storage that you can stuff into it, OwnCloud is the way to go. I use OwnCloud to sync my phone, my computers, anything that can connect to it, or you can go ahead and SSH into the server to transfer files as well. The app is, of course, available multi-platform, making syncing really, really great. OwnCloud has been one of my favorites for a long, long time. You got privacy because this is not stored on any other service, you know, like those uh, mega cloud storage or Google Drive where you're not in control with your data. With OwnCloud, it is your data and you are in control. And that's what makes this great. It's It's got flexibility. And some of the plugins coming into this thing are really great. Like, for example, they're starting to put together a Google, a Google Doc style um, plugin into this thing. And man, I love it. OwnCloud. If you want cloud storage and you don't want to mess with other companies or paying a high dollar for stuff, 
go with OwnCloud. I actually set up an OwnCloud server. Um, I have a bunch of uh, videos on there stored. It's It works great for me. Um, easy to set up. Uh, check it out, guys. So go ahead. Take the chance. Check out OwnCloud. Download it and try it out. With Clementine Music Player, I always use it. It does not do videos or anything. It's just a dedicated music player. It plays OGG, MP3, AHC files, I believe, or FOAC files. It, it does almost any audio file that you can think of. And it has visualizations, it has a 10 band equalizer, and it just sounds great. It's very simplistic. It will automatically find the file names and all the uh, album covers to your, to your files. It will do everything for you right off the bat. The audio quality from it is great. It has lots of eye candy, but it's not difficult to use. It's actually easier than Windows Media Player if you are transitioning from Windows. And I can see that right here from this page. It looks like it is a cross-platform, works for Windows, Macs, and Linux. If I'm looking at some of these screenshots, this would be a good way if you're switching to Linux, go ahead and play with this app before you go ahead and get, get your Linux on. Looks like you can create playlists. It almost kind of reminds me of like an early version of iTunes. It's kind of what it reminds me of. It looks like it lets you connect your um, devices. You got playlists, files, and a library, which is really, really neat. Uh, of course, you're able to edit the tags in the program as well. And it also is able to sync up with your Dropbox, Google Drive, and OneDrive. I wonder if it works with OwnCloud. So everybody, give Clementine. It's her time. All right, and next we are going to talk about P-Sensor. Go ahead and tell us what P-Sensor is all about there, Jason. P-Sensor is a hardware monitoring tool for your temperatures. Now, it monitors all the listed um, sensors in your computer. Um, let's see, we have a bunch of features on here that you can uh, check out. Um, you can uh, change the temperature units. Uh, you can list uh, have a, like a graph that shows a graph of uh, the temperatures going up and down. Um, you can uh, change your monitor durations, your update intervals. Um, you can change different sensors. Uh, so measuring update intervals for your different sensors, you can uh, enable sensor logging as well. And uh, it's a pretty decent um, hardware monitor. Uh, I do recommend um, Temp Throttle as well. That's a pretty decent one too, um, Anthroid uh, mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of different um, features on this one. You can also um, activate uh, a notification on your desktop. Um, you can set the high threshold temperature. That way, if it goes too high, you can get a notification on your desktop saying, hey, you know, the CPU's a little high. We need to uh, calm it down and maybe change the frequencies or something or, uh, uh, you know, power up your fans. There you go with Peace Sensor Hardware Monitor. Our next app of choice here is if you're sick of that awful, god-awful Ubuntu Software Center, check out AppGrid. That's right. It's fast. It's elegant. A clean, simple design makes AppGrid a joy to use. And it's ready to go. Discover new open source software anywhere. Yeah, includes uh, ratings, reviews, and screenshots. And if you show your support, looks like they want a little bit of money here in British pounds, euros, or US dollars. So if you like it, support it. Support your open source projects. It's what keeps them moving and keeps them going. It's what keeps Linux and its ecosystem together. Support your creators. So there we go. That has been AppGrid. And our next app is a personal favorite of mine and is a godsend for being able to transcode videos under Linux is FFmpeg. Man, do I love FFmpeg. It is a command line tool. For example, my 4K camera doesn't, the video files don't natively work in my video editor. For example, 
this open broadcast software um, records the videos in FLV format. FFmpeg is the tool that I use to transcode it into a workable MP4 format that will work in any video editor regardless of, of what its original format was. If it wasn't for FFmpeg allowing me to transcode video files, I probably wouldn't be able to do half of the production I do here on Linux. It is this tool on the back end that makes it all work for me. It is awesome. You can use it to rip DVDs. You can use it to stream too. You can stream with this tool, screen record with this tool, you name it. This thing does everything. Once you learn that command line, there's no going and using no GUI because it has just got so many powerful options. Oh, I love the ability to, uh, it's, it's less hardware intensive. It, it takes up less resources. You don't have the GUI running. You're running everything in the command line. You know, you don't have the GUI. You don't have the resource intensive uh, graphical interface going. I agree with you fully hearted. Even though you can edit video on Linux, when sometimes when you load a certain video, especially with Lightworks, which we'll get into later, Lightworks is very, very picky on its video format. For example, you're not going to be able to lo load a raw FLV file, like what comes off of my open broadcaster software, directly into it. It has to be transcoded, no matter what. Okay, with, with running everything in the terminal, that's what, I, that's what I love about FFmpeg, is you, there's a lot of help in there. You, you check out the wiki page. Also, you can type in the uh, TAC um, help command as well. And there's a whole list of settings and stuff that you can change. Um, that's what I like about trying to learn, uh, get people into the terminal because it takes up less resources and there's a lot of information there for you guys to check out. A lot. And that has been FFmpeg. Check it out. It is the greatest tool I have ever used, ever. And our next app, the app that's making this podcast, all my live streams possible. It is open broadcast software. This program is a godsend to Linux. Now we had open, you know, you know, the screen recorders. There, there's a bunch of little stupid screen recorder programs, but none of them really function very well or great. But with OBS, it solved all screen capturing, streaming, recording, you name it, all in one app. And as again, it's open source and multi-platform. We're talking Windows, OS X, and Linux. I love this thing. As a matter of fact, I wanna see if I could bring it over on the screen right now. And here it is, I'm using it. Hey, it's me, woo! <laughs> Greatest tool ever, and it's doing everything here. So I don't have to do any like editing of any of the text, it's all in there for me. I can control the audio, I can control the sources and the scenes, and they just recently added the ability to do transitions. And it's real easy, you just click on your download for Linux, and of course they even got it for uh, Arch Linux 2 and Gen 2, for us serious, serious Linux users. So there is OBS, check it out, download it, you're gonna love it. OBS, oh, I love you. All right, next we are gonna talk about ZenMap Network Monitoring Tool. This one is a Jason specialty, so go ahead, Jason, shoot away. ZenMap NMap is a network mapper. It's free and open source utility for network discovery and security auditing. It's got plenty of support. Um, it supports TCP, UDP, port scanning, 
IP filters, firewalls, routers, and other obstacles, ping sweeps, OS detection, version detection. It also is supported with Linux, uh, Windows, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, Solaris, NetBSD, SunOS, and Amiga. And there's plenty more lists on here. Um, you can use the command line and the GUI. Um, I prefer using the command line because it's it's a lot easier for me. Um, now, if you don't want to uh, compile MMAP from source, there are bina uh, binaries available. Um, now, here's a quick, uh, if you want to get started on NMAP, here is a quick um, command to start NMAP. You type in the terminal NMAP, TAC V, TAC capital A, and then your target host, and then it'll start scanning. You could set all the features you want just by typing um, TAC TAC help in the command line, and it'll list all the features and... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty powerful um, tool. The reason why I don't use Wireshark is because it's a little bit more um, resource intensive. Um, the net, uh, Nmap Zenmap is a lot less resource intensive, and you get all of the all of the features that Wireshark has. That is some really cool stuff. And can you believe it? Nmap has been in the movies. Yeah, there's a screenshot right there. It was in Matrix Reloaded. So there we go. There's some Linux in the Matrix. That's a cool little fun fact there. Wow. And then in Dread. Let's see, what other movies was this in? Asylum. So definitely, this has been in a lot of hacking movies. So there we go. There's Nmap. Monitor that network. Yeah. You too can be a secret spy of your network. Last but certainly not least, is video editing on Linux. Now there are many, many, many apps out there. And there are many apps in this category that are under debate, or where people say one's better than the other, or one's uh, not as featured as the other. Um, one of the ones that get recommended to me by my audience is Kadian Live. Now unfortunately, I've tried Kadian Live. The preview window is just a, a green screen. And I'm sorry, can't use an app that the preview window is a green screen. But there has been two apps that actually work somewhat. Each of them have their own issues. Of course, the first one is OpenShot 2.0. And I'm gonna let Jason go ahead and fill you in on that one because he is an OpenShot user. My main thing with OpenShot is once again, resources. I use light. I used Lightworks before, and it used a lot of the resources for my hardware. Um, OpenShot is lightweight, however, it gets the job done. It has many features, and I'm going to list them for you. Um, supports many video and audio and image formats based on FFmpeg. Okay, um, it's got GNOME integration, drag and drop, of course. You can uh, uh, have unlimited tracks and layers, clip resizing, scaling, all the good stuff that you need to do to edit your videos. It's got 3D animated titles, um, title templates, title creation, SVG friendly, um, so you can create and include vector titles and credits. Um, it's got scrolling, uh, motion picture credits, uh, alpha compositing. There, It does everything that you basically need um, for a video editor with Linux. Uh, like I said, the video encoding is based on FFmpeg, so you do have a good quality video. Um, it, it does have keyframe animation and uh, digital zooming of video clips, but I don't really use that. Um, but for my needs, simple video editing, OpenShot is the way to go. Um, my main nitpick with Lightworks is that it opens a lot 
of uh, Windows when you launch it. So you have to have a dual monitor or a big screen. And I run off of laptops most of the time. So running OpenShot, you just have that one perfect, nice window there. It has everything in there, all the preferences and features that you need um, to do simple video editing. Yes, and now OpenShot is in its full beta of 2.0. And now it's getting increased. Hopefully they fix a lot of the crashes that happened with that program. And that was kind of the, the callback for me was it does it is a program you do want to make sure you save edit a little bit save edit a little bit save it can be a little temperamental with certain video formats but yeah i'm a user of OpenShot too oh i was gonna say Caden live is a lot more um hardware intensive than OpenShot is because i had ran Caden live and i uh, monitored my uh temperatures and my um frequencies and my speeds and it peaked my cpu and i was running a core i3 and then I, I went over and opened up OpenShot, closed out all my other programs, and I was able to run um, four, four cores at uh, 1.73 gigahertz and stay under 110 degrees Fahrenheit and being able to render video. Yeah, and now my, my gripe was about the same with uh, KDN Live. Like I said, and for me, the preview window was green and I was unable to solve the issue, so I was unable to even use the program to find out if I liked it or disliked it. It just didn't work. But I wanted to explore into something that was serious. Something that was, you know, not easy. Something on the level of Premiere. And about the time I switched to Linux, Lightworks got released. Now, Lightworks in the Linux community gets a really bad, bad rap. A really bad rap. And basically, the reason why it gets a bad rap is its interface. People look at Lightworks interface and say, that's it, I'm done, and they walk out of the room. That's usually as far as people that I've talked to that say dislike Lightworks. That's as far as they've made it. They've never got into learning the program, figuring out how it works, getting into its hardcore features that no other video editors that I've seen, even the good ones, have, such as multi-timeline editing, Ooh, if you don't know what that is, that means you can have multiple timelines in one project. Unlike OpenShot, KDN Live, or even Sony Vegas, you only can have one timeline in the project. But if you use Premiere, you should know that also has multi-timeline support, where you can have multiple timelines within a project. As you can see here, I can open up another timeline and have two timelines going in. I can have this timeline reference the other timeline. You can preview the clips. There is a ton of effects in here, a ton of effects. These effects are great and you can favorite your favorite effects, create your own effects, create your own titles, um, transitions, you name it. And it also has a fully functional audio mixer, an audio mixer, something that the other programs, you can't mix multi-channels in, in this, like, like a regular mixer program. It has a great mixer for mixing your audio. You, all the windows are modular, and I think this is what freaks people out, but you can move these windows and position them in any way and get it to look just like if you're in a Premiere environment or a Sony Vegas environment. You can move things around, explore your files, get previews. Lightworks can be a little bit of a pain in the butt. It is very, very stable. I have had very few, few crashes with the program. Now that I understand the program and its concepts, I have never been able to edit any better than I have on any program in my video editing on YouTube ever. This program is awesome. And one of these days I plan to do a live stream of me editing one of my videos with this program. Maybe if somebody watches me, they'll be like, oh, okay, 
I get it. And that's kind of what the gotcha is with, with Lightworks, is it definitely, its interface is a I gotcha. It's just when you open it, it just, it confuses people. And once you get past that and learn what how it works, you're in for probably, in my opinion, the best editing experience ever. I mean, ever. I have never used a program this awesome. Now, its downside is it doesn't like every video format. Like, for example, Premiere, you can pretty much load every video format into the program. For example, I have one camera, my Polaroid Cube camera here. I have to transcode these to even get them to work into Lightworks. Another one, of course, is OBS with this uh, FLV format. And I just can't say this program, if I even went back to Windows, I would still use this program. This program is, I love it. There is a downside to it. It does have a monthly subscription license, but that subscri subscription license is what helps its development over all the other video editors out there. The staff and everybody's getting paid, and I don't mind paying for software if it works, and that gives you the support that you need to do what you need to do. I, so I, I pay a little bit a month, and I know I get the support. I jump on the forums. If I got an issue, I get it fixed right here, right now. I don't have to wait for an open source video editor to take two years like OpenShot for an update. This sucker gets updated every few months. Bugs are fixed. They're on top of things. And they have a great community in the forums. I just can't go on and on. This program is why I'm still on Linux to this day. Well, just with that there, you have uh, convinced me to go ahead and get that 22-inch monitor and uh, install some Lightworks and pay for the um, the subscription. Um, honestly, if the uh, the listeners on the podcast aren't convinced that Lightworks is the way to go, then uh, I don't know what to tell them. Yeah, and like I said, it is a program where you just need to get past that part when you first open the program and go, WTF is this. Once you get past that part, you're good to go. To be all honest about it i've been there i've been there with lightworks it was just a trial and i just said you know what no i'm not going to i was in that same boat and i eventually said you know what i've got a vlog to edit i'm gonna sit here and go through three hours of horrible horrible youtube tutorials <laughs> i mean horrible <laughs> and learn this concept so once i learned the concepts i was able to move forward and now, now I'm to the point where I can fly through the program. And there you go, folks. There's our take on some of our favorite, favorite Linux apps. So that ends this segment. And welcome to the YouTube segment. And in this YouTube segment, we need to give you an update on our boy here. I hate everything. And he hates being deleted from YouTube. From that podcast, this is what happened. Eventually, Derek Savage did not press charges for his review of the Cool Cat movie. He got his video back. I hate everything won. Everything was golden. And then out of nowhere, he got hit by another guideline strike. And his channel completely disappeared off the YouTubes. I would say after a few days... There was a huge stink raised up about this. Messages were posted on my podcast, posted all over his Twitter, all over his Reddit, all over the internet. It was everyone. The I hate everything community was pissed, royally pissed off. With all that action, he got his channel back. He was restored. 
still dealing with a lot of the YouTube drama. He is now growing channel, and because of it, since the last time we spoke about him, he's grown by another 100,000 subscribers. I hate everything. After I discovered your channel, some of the drama sucks, but I'm glad you're still moving forward and doing what you do best, and that's making really great I hate everything videos. And I couldn't help to bring myself up to mentioning this one. I'm sure all of us have heard about it by now. I didn't even know who the uh, these uh, Fine Brothers people were. I've ran into their videos here and there, but I wasn't a fan, I wasn't subscribed. And all of a sudden, the internet just craps out the biggest stick and stink about these guys. Turns out they wanted to try to trademark the word react and make a network or some type of licensing deal so people can go ahead and make reaction videos, but they get the money. That's basically what it was. So the internet was really, really pissed off, including Mr. Boogie2988. He went on about it, as you can see here as I scroll down. Just look at that. And it all ended. The fine bros did give up. The YouTube audience spoke. I mean, when you lose almost a million subscribers, I bet you that's what got their attention when they realized, uh-oh, we're going to be done for. We're going under. This is the end of our YouTube channel. Now they go ahead and rant. They keep going. This goes on and on. Every YouTuber here uh, goes ahead and make a video about this channel. So there's my thoughts on it. I'm saying, you know what? I'm glad the YouTube community stood up for what they believed in. Uh, as you can see, it, it was a battle, but the YouTubers won in the end. The audience won. And I don't think these two guys, the fine bros, are probably ever going to be able to recover from what they've done. And that brings us to the end of this little YouTube segment and update. Let's go ahead and move on to some feedback. And welcome to the feedback, where you feed us back. Now, on our previous podcast, Getting Started on Linux, I was fascinated by some of the feedback that was left in the comment section, and it was people kind of telling their their stories on Linux. So let me go ahead and read one from here from GT PC Gaming. It says, currently watching this video with my first three-week-old Gen 2 system. My history with Gen 2 is as long as a half a year. I have been using Linux for four years, and I started with Ubuntu, of course. I immediately started hating Unity and changed to Linux Mint Ubuntu Edition with Cinnamon Desktop Environment. I instantly went for Linux seeking better security than Windows could ever offer. I immediately started loving the Linux environment. Why Gentoo? All the maintenance and all the stuff like that, bleeding edge and so on. Well, it's much more stable just because it's all compiled specifically to your hardware. Bleeding Edge built generally for Ubuntu is much less stable than something that I have tinkered myself. With Gentoo, I feel like home. Compile everything mentally for the win. I know, Jason, you you played with Gentoo, so you think it's common? What do you think of that? Yes, compiling is the way to go. That's what I, that's what I, I mean, it took me two days to compile and get a uh, desktop environment set up for Gen 2, um, but it was well worth it, and I cannot wait to get my system back down here that has Gen 2 installed on it and do some videos for you guys and talk about it. I agree. I still have yet to play with Gen 2, but I'm just so far down the arch rabbit hole, I don't know if I'm ever going anywhere else, but I like my rabbit hole. Mr. John here. I originally tried Linux a few years ago when I installed Ubuntu 12 on my laptop. 
but found that there were too many hurdles for me to overcome to do the things that I like to do. My main motivation at the time was to gain performance. It was a Sandy Bridge Pentium laptop. I gave up not too long afterwards, but I was watching OS First Timer's video on Arch about a half a year ago, and it really piqued my curiosity. I wound up installing it on my old Dell computer that I got free and have been using it ever since, just with the command line and over the network. As I write this comment, I have converted all of my computers in my house to Yarch except for my web email server, which I plan to convert soon. Personally, I have tried Mate, but GNOME 5 really works for me. I don't know, are they up to GNOME 5? Not sure what's going on there. It's really great how you could choose the entire look and function of the GUI, which is something Windows will never have. I just can't emphasize enough how glad I am have to switch to Linux. Please keep up the great videos. Well, thank you there, John. I'm glad you're enjoying Arch Linux, and I'm kind of interested on if you ever want to update me on how it goes as a web email server. So normally I use uh, CentOS for those kind of situations. I'm kind of curious how Arch would work with it. I bet you it would make a much less bogged down system because I'm starting not to like uh, CentOS's um, bogging down issues it's having as of late. And here we are. This comment came in from Luke. Mr. Luke asks, what programs do you guys use daily on your workstations? I would like to see some video tutorials and more about your life and Linux. By the way, I love your videos. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, guys, that's what this podcast was kind of about. You got a feel of the programs that we use and enjoy and have fun with. Uh, maybe someday, yes, I would like to do some more tutorials and that depends on how my life and how much stuff gets in my way and how much free time I have to get these things done. But yes, I do plan to do some tutorials. A really neat Linux tutorial is what I'm planning. And for our last piece of little feedback here came in from Ben. Have you ever tried Netrunner? I like that distro a lot. I believe it's uh, based on Ubuntu. Uh, I've tried Linux over the years, but I have always seemed to find that I can't get the programs that I need or I'm running into performance issues. One other big problem that I have is that I can't figure out where the programs store themselves. They leave pieces all over the place. Vars and bins, etsy, etsy, and lib. Windows usually just puts everything in the program files directory. I wish I could figure it all out to where it makes sense. Well, I can understand that. My first time working with Linux was learning these different directory structures. Now, I sent him a little link in this post, and it is a picture of the Linux file system structure. It does make a little sense if you understand what is going on. For example, slash dev, that's your device files, slash proc, process information, var. Um, and this one says variable files, but kind of look at this as like where a lot of your logs are gonna be. Uh, slash temp, temporary files, that makes sense, right? Um, slash user, now those that is where your programs are stored. Like in Windows, you usually have your registry, you have your Windows folder, and you have your programs um, files folder. Things are divided up between those three locations. They're not all in the program files. For example, the, some of the config files might actually be in, in, in the Windows directory or even in the, in the system registry itself. In Linux, it kind of works the same way. You got your, 
your slash user folder, which hold houses your programs, your like, for example, like Lightworks. And then it'll also be here in like .lib, which is shared system libraries, you know, that can be used between different programs at the same time. And that, that kind of is like, okay, it's part of the program, but it's also part of other programs. So you got a little division there. And then of course you got your home folder, which also whole houses your own personal config files for such as Firefox, your Thunderbird, and for example, Lightworks again. Um, user specific, um, kind of think of this as your, um, how Windows equivalent of the, uh, think of it, think of the slash home as the app um, data directory on Windows where it stores all your app information and also your your my documents, pictures, etc., etc. And then of course, there you got your mount directory. This is where uh, your mounted hardware inside the computer mounts. And then you got slash media, which is like your detachable devices such as CD-ROM drive and USB sticks, you name it. The Linux uh, file system isn't really that complicated. They just don't have friendly names like program files for the program files, documents and settings for your home folder. It, it, the concept's the same, it's just worded a little differently. Exactly. Um, just just be careful of what you guys edit when you're uh, in the administrative, uh, when you open up folders when with the uh, administrative um, ability because uh, you can really mess up your system. And that brings us to the end of this feedback section. If you have feedback, go ahead and send us feedback at feedback at geekingoffpodcast.com or leave a comment in this video below and I will read your comment in the next Geeking Off Podcast. And that brings us to the end of this Geeking Off podcast. In this episode, we talked about a lot. It was a lot of content. I'm going to have fun editing it. It's going to be fun. But if you like this podcast, go ahead and hit us up at www.geekingoffpodcast.com. And on PP, on this site, you can go ahead and subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe to us via iTunes. So go ahead and do that. Join us. And also still keeping this open is become a guest on the show i am still on the hunt for the perfect guest so go ahead fill out the application and answer some of the questions that i have there and you can go ahead and be a future guest on this show we've got a little treat yeah i got one of those yes i'm also on patreon so if you want to help support anthrit and anthware and the geeking off podcast go ahead and become a patreon on patreon right now we're still working on our rewards section we got something new coming up. Um, right now we are beta testing a mumble server. So soon, people who become patrons will be able to talk with us in our Patreon-only mumble room and be able to get help with Linux tips and tricks. We've got people from Arch Linux experts to Mint experts to even Gentoo experts and you name it, one of us in the mumble room will be able to help you with your specific Linux problem. But certainly last but not least is check us out at anthrit.com. And on anthrit.com here, you can see our video schedule and get an idea of what videos are coming out next. So if you have any questions like, oh, what video is coming out next? What is he planning? Go over there, check out the calendar and see what we got going on. We also got to hear of a poll of what is the best OS. Go ahead, choose one of those and submit it because it looks like Linux is winning, not by a landslide, not by a little bit. Linux is owning that poll and owning everything. It's taking over. It's the future of computing. It's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen right here, right now. Pretty soon you're going to be able to go to Dell. You're going to be able to go to Best Buy and you're going to pick up that Linux laptop and you're going to be owning that Linux up. And to finish this off, I would like to thank you to all my subscribers, Patreons, and viewers of my channel. Thank you for enjoying this episode. 
I hope you come back again, and we'll see you again. But folks, I'm going to go ahead and end it and wrap it up there. This has been Anthony from Mathware, and from this time and every time on, folks, keep on clicking. Please subscribe to JDHeart89 for more tutorials about anything Linux Mint. Please check out geekbraindump.net. Thank you guys for listening and watching. This is Anthony from Mathware, signing off.